Welcome to Divorce Dialogues. I'm Katherine Miller. Divorce Dialogues brings expert guests to the airways to talk through your divorce questions and fill in the gray areas about separating. From thinking about divorce, to how to behave during divorce, to what to do after, this is Divorce Dialogues. Welcome to Dialogue on Divorce. I'm Katherine Miller. I'm the founder of the Miller Law Group and director of the Center for Understanding and Conflict. And I am on a mission to change how people divorce and help them divorce with dignity and respect. And I am thrilled that my guest today is Deborah Tannen. She's an acclaimed author. She wrote You Just Don't Understand, which was on the New York Times bestseller list for nearly four years. She also wrote the bestseller uh, you're wearing that on mother-daughter communication, and you were always mom's favorite about sisters and many other books. Most recently, you're the only one I can tell inside the language of women's friendships, which uh, was published in May of last year. Welcome, Deborah. It's really a pleasure to have you on the show. It's my pleasure. You know, and one of the things that I find when working with all of my clients, but particularly when I'm working with women, is what we call the Greek chorus. You know, this chorus of friends and family advisors who tell people, you know, sometimes helpful, mostly unhelpful pieces of information and advice that they bring to me and, you know, creating the sort of impossible challenge. How does that work and, and how can it be useful to women? That's uh, such a good point. The The basis often of many women's friendships is talk. And it can be wonderful and it can also be problematic. And I think you put your finger on both of them now. Uh, there's this sense of connection that somebody cares about what you're going through, that wants to hear about it, um, that you, there's an almost iconic, oh, I know the same thing happened to me. Oh, I know just how you feel. I would have felt the same way. Oh, I know. I would have done the same thing. Uh, so all of those positive aspects to feeling connected. But you're pointing out about sometimes comments not being helpful reminds me of something I wrote about in the book. I was told by a obstetrician gynecologist that she cautions her patients when they're pregnant or trying to get pregnant Avoid the situation of being at a party and ending up in the kitchen with the women because they're going to tell you all the scare stories, all the horrible things that can happen. And she listed a whole list of things that her patients told her they had been told that were not at all helpful. Like, oh, uh, you're carrying very high. Is that okay? You're carrying very low. Is your doctor worried? Um, oh, my sister was in labor for 24 hours and she lost the baby. All these (laughs) terrible stories. And it really made me think about what could have been the motivation for people saying things like that. And it's very possible that they were intending to be helpful, suggesting that you have to be careful about these kinds of things. This comes up a lot, by the way, between mothers and daughters. And I'm sure that people going through divorce must have a similar litany of things people say that may have been intended to be helpful, but in the end aren't, especially if it's scare stories of things that happened that would not be wanted. (laughs) That's exactly right. Or sort of like wishful thinking, like, you know, I know someone who got absolutely everything or didn't have to pay a penny or got this or got that or the other thing. So you should ask for that too, right? Like with no context, no nothing, or exactly what you're saying, you know, watch out about this. Aren't you worried about that? You know, that sort of thing that, you know, makes people 
I mean, essentially shuts them down because they're in such a place of fear and reactivity and feeling of mistrust that they don't even know what to do. Yes, and I think it it can play into those fears. And again, that's why the mother-daughter context is so complicated because on the one hand, the mother wants to do everything she can to make sure things go as well as possible for her daughter. And that means foreseeing all the terrible things that could happen. And on the other hand, the daughter, this is the person she most wants to think that she's perfect. And here's the person pointing out all her flaws and giving her advice, which implies criticism. Um, so I think that, that people going through just about anything, you hear very similar stories from women um, de- dealing with cancer, for example, uh, or dealing with uh, death in the family. But I think divorce is one of those points of transition where it's challenging. People want to say something helpful, and they don't really know what to say. I mean, another thing that I have experienced through my clients, and, and personally as well, is that divorce seems to be one of those things that everybody has a you know personal piece of wisdom to impart to the person going through it, you know, whereas they might not say something about oh, an illness or something like that. But here, they've always got something to say. Oh, my cousin's, you know, sister's office worker secretary <laughs> had <Yes>. this story, <laughs> right? <laughs> like, okay. But, but I don't want to emphasize, overemphasize the negative too much because I did also, I interviewed 80 women for the book about women's friendships. And I heard so many moving stories of how friends came through at difficult times, illness, death, and divorce. And so many people made comments like, I don't know how I would have gotten through the divorce had it not been for my women friends. But I also heard, uh, and again, I think a lot of it comes down to talk. We have Uh, very different levels of tolerance for talk and very different levels of what we consider the amount of talk that we most appreciate. Um, And so for some women, it was, I so appreciated friends who would let me just go on and on. I know I was saying the same thing over and over, but I needed to. And I so appreciated the friends who were comfortable with my doing that. And then there was another woman I talked to who said, She avoided her women friends when she was going through her divorce because she didn't want to have to keep talking about it. And she said how much she valued a friend, a man, uh, with whom she could spend hours. They would simply ride their bikes. He was going through a divorce as well. They never talked about it, but they knew they were going through something similar. They just rode their bikes until they were exhausted. So I think we have to realize there are individual differences here and differences in context. Maybe what you want at one time and might be different from what you find most helpful at another. It sounds very complicated, you know, trying to figure out what is the best way to talk to some friend who's going through a difficult situation. Yes, well, people are complicated. And sometimes what is most helpful is what I would call meta-communication, that is talking about the communication. So you could ask, I don't want to keep asking if you don't want me to, uh, would you prefer that I not ask how things are going? Or do you appreciate my asking so that you know I care? You could ask, do you want to talk about it? Or would it be better to just put that aside and help you get involved in other things and not even think about the divorce for a certain amount of time? Because that can be... That can be a gift in itself. Let's go do something completely different, talk about other things, get my mind off it. 
I think that you're advocating just actually having a conversation about having a conversation, right? That, that as a friend, one of, the, one of the best things you could do would be to say to the person, how can I best support you? Yes, and I think that's extremely helpful. Um, people do often say, tell me if there's anything I can do. And this is something that has been commented on a fair amount. Most people will say, thank you, but not ever ask you to do anything. Sometimes it's helpful to make a specific offer. Shall I? So we have a date for dinner once a week. Would you like that? Make it easy to say no. Now I would understand if you don't want to. Shall I bring over dinner? Shall we? I'm thinking of one case where a woman had been sharing a subscription with her husband to something. I think it was the ballet, and then was kind of she. One of the hard things for her was that she felt she had no one to go with, and so a friend who stepped up and said. Shall we get a subscription together to the ballet? So some, sometimes a specific offer can be very helpful. Are you saying that that's usually the way better to say, kind of come up with something yourself as the offerer? Yes. I would say if we're going to contrast, tell me if there's anything I can do versus make a specific offer, it's better to make a specific offer. Uh, but always do it in a way that gives the person many outs. I understand you might not want to. That's fine. Just if you want to. And what do you think, uh, Deborah Tannen, are some of the better patterns of communication that people or friends, women friends, can uh, develop or strengthen through crisis and, like, you know, obviously including divorce? I always start with awareness of what I call conversational style, that we have different ways of valuing conversation and different ways of uh, using it ourselves. So it's really important, I think, to realize that what you want might not be what the other person wants. Um, Just realize for some people, asking frequently, how are you doing, would be perfect so that they know you care. For other people, they don't want to be asked. I'll talk about it if I want to. If I don't bring it up, that's a cue that I don't want to. So that's, I guess, maybe gets back to what I said earlier, that the best thing is to check in some way with the person about what they are going to find most helpful, most comforting in the situation. So being aware of conversational style differences. I think also it's very important to sometimes realize, especially for women, that activities can sometimes be as healing as talk. The most uh, common way of spending time for many women is to sit and talk. Let's have lunch. Let's take a walk. Sometimes it, we, this is something that women can sometimes learn from men. Just, just go do something together. You might talk while you're doing it. You might not. But just spending that time together can be extremely comforting. One woman that I interviewed said, I thought that was a very sweet way to put it. She said, when it comes down to it, a friend is someone who you feel happy to be simply sitting on a log with. (laughs) That's lovely. This is Dialogue on Divorce. I'm Catherine Miller, the host of the show, and I'm talking today with Deborah Tannen about women and conversation, friendship, especially around divorce. Deborah's the author of You're the Only One I Can Tell, as well as a number of other books. And Deborah, what do you think uh, is the best way for someone who might be going through divorce and dealing with a friend who is not approaching an effective or helpful way to kind of reshape that conversation in a way to make it more helpful? Yeah, that's a challenge, especially for women. I think we find it hard 
to say to someone, please don't talk to me that way. I'd rather you not do that. But um, if you can find a, a, a gentle way to say it, I think it can be actually very helpful for both. I think it's always good to start by acknowledging the other person's good intentions. I know that you're saying that to be helpful, but put it on yourself. Just because of the place I'm in right now, it's not all that helpful for me. And then make a, a proposal about something else you could do. So that might be an opportunity to say, maybe instead of just talking, let's go to this uh, show, let's go to this lecture that I w- was interested in, um, just uh, or get out and uh, play tennis, <laughs> do something. And you can say, this would be most helpful to me. And Deborah, do you think that, how about women and families? You know, you talked a little bit earlier about, you know, mothers and daughters and how um, that conversation can be particularly challenging. And how do you think that mothers and daughters can talk around uh, issues about divorce? I'm talking adults here, not not little kids. Yes, of course. Uh, yeah, and I should say that my book, You're the Only, the one about mothers and daughters, you are in that, is hmm. about adults. <laughs> That was actually, that title comes from something said by a mother in her 80s to a daughter in her 60s. Yeah, and oh, so many other mothers as well, by the way. Yes. <laughs> yes. One of the things that makes it complicated with mothers, if it's the daughter getting divorced, in our culture, and I suspect many cultures, mothers are held responsible for whatever their children do. If a daughter goes out looking in a way people don't approve, they'll think, why did her mother let her go out looking like that? And mothers often feel that the most uh, damaging thing for themselves to feel is that they were not good mothers. Women that I interviewed said they were not deeply hurt if someone criticized them in their work, but if someone implied they were not a good mother, that went to their core. Sometimes when a daughter gets divorced, a mother feels it as a comment on her success as a mother. Had she been a better mother, the daughter wouldn't have this problem. And that can give it an emotional load that is really not fair to the daughter. So if you can talk in a way that says, I think you were a great mother, and just when you have an opportunity to say that, say it. You were a great mother. What's happening is something out of anybody's control. And sometimes it's the mother getting divorced, which can be very traumatic for adult children. And there, too, I think when kids are young, they sometimes think it's their fault. I don't think adults, children would feel that way. But they can can feel implicated, um, perhaps more personally implicated than the mother feels they should be. Um, And maybe finding a way for the mother to talk about it that says, this has nothing to do with the kids. This was just something that happened between us. You know, it's really interesting. I mean, for me, I come from a family where divorce did not happen. I was the first person in my family to get divorced. And my grandmother told me a couple of weeks before I got married for the first time that I was never to divorce. And she meant whatever I needed to do to keep the marriage together, I should do. And, you know, drinking, mm-hmm. drug use, affairs, whatever, she meant I should do that. And and I think sometimes people come from from cultures like that and those kinds of conversations, which to me, I was a divorce lawyer at the time, Deborah. You know, it was it was bizarre. Uh, you know, in hindsight, I guess it wasn't that bizarre, but I've heard that same story come from 
other women and frankly, other men as well to have those communications about the the value, the view, whether or not it's a family culture or religious culture. What do you think is the best way to have those difficult conversations inside of families? What you're saying is very accurate. Um, I heard from people, I'm thinking in particular, one woman that I interviewed, her husband was physically abusive. He was beating her. And her mother thought she should stay. She went to talk to, and I think insisted actually that she go to their religious, it was a priest or a minister. And he said, you have to stay. Uh, and, and, and this is a terrible thing that women felt under that kind of pressure. And I think it's one of the most positive changes we've seen in our culture that, that that is much less common now than it was. I think it's not surprising. It was your grandmother who said that. Uh, I'm thinking, I lived in Greece for a time, and I remember being told by a Greek woman, whether a marriage lasts or not depends on the woman. What she meant was women have to put up with everything. Yeah. So, yeah, the kind of conversations to have, I think, are simply to uh, try to articulate that underlying unfairness of putting all the blame on the woman so that you can see more clearly that this is there are situations where she hasn't done something wrong, she shouldn't put up with what is going on, and that having the opportunity to end a marriage that needs to be ended is a, I'm trying to avoid using that word liberation, but it really is. Freedom, it's a recognition of women's humanity that we didn't have before, and it's. I think it's sad that we didn't, and progress that we now do. You're listening to Dialogue on Divorce. We're here every other Wednesday from 5 to 5.30 on WVOX 1460 AM and WVOX.com, as well as on a podcast on my website, www.westchesterfamilylaw.com, and also on iTunes and SoundCloud. And I'm talking today with Deborah Tannen, an acclaimed author and really an expert on conversation and linguistics. And Deborah, if people are interested in getting in touch with you or finding out more about your books, what's the best way to do that? Yes, the best would be to go to my website, and it's simply my name, com. Now, Deborah is spelled D-E-B-O-R-A-H, and Tannen, T-A-N-N-E-N, so it's com. Thank you. That's and all my book information, and uh, as well as easy to contact me that way. That's perfect. You know, Deborah, you're also, I think, you wrote a book about sisters. Is the relationship between sisters, can that be useful during a divorce, more or less so than other women friends or women support system? For many women, their sisters are their best friends. From other women, I heard, my friends are the sisters I was meant to have. If you have sisters that are um, friends that can you can rely on, that can understand you, you can talk to them, I think that's a great gift. I have two sisters of whom I would say that. They are my best friends. But it's not universal. And if some people don't have that kind of relationship with their sisters, then friends can take that role. There was something that was very consistent when I talked to mothers and daughters, to sisters, and to friends. When women were hurt by a friend, more often than not, it was they were not told something or they were left out of something. That seems to carry a kind of emotional weight for women in a way that it doesn't for many men. With situations of divorce, 
I heard situations of uh, friends who felt very hurt. Um, even somebody used the word betrayed because a good friend had not told her that she was having so many problems in her marriage. And so when she announced the divorce, it seemed to come out of the blue. And the way the friend put it, the one I interviewed was, she hadn't led me through any of this. And then um, in this case, the friend, it was she was having an affair and she wanted the friend to kind of, um, I guess, validate that, say it was a good thing to do since she'd been having this affair that she should now divorce. And the one I interviewed commented, I really couldn't because I felt betrayed. I felt she hadn't led me through it. So I think that's something we need to take into account and perhaps correct for. If there's a reason that a person felt she had to keep it secret, perhaps she could be explicit about why that was the case, because that is something that sisters, friends, mothers, and daughters uh, often expect of someone of another woman that they're close to. You're someone you're close to is someone who tells you what's going on in their lives, and it can feel like a rejection if something significant is going on and you didn't know at the time. Wow, that's really interesting. I wonder how that must feel incredibly isolating for the person who's going through the marital problems and who feels like they, I sometimes I think giving voice to it makes it more real, you know? Uh, I think that's true. Uh, and I think uh, it's isolating also for someone who was close and realized I didn't really know what was going on. They feel shut out in that way. Yeah. I mean, it's interesting, you know, for me, I, I didn't talk about it a lot because I was, I didn't, then I'd have to do something about it, you know, until I reached that sort of crisis point. And I think there were a lot of people really surprised, which surprised me because I, you know, I guess what this comes down to is people are different. Women are different on what they need and what they expect. And that that can be really a kind of a painful realization. Yes, and absolutely. And the difference that I came up with again and again was people who value talk more and people who are cautious of talk. There are some people who almost instinctively will talk about whatever they're going through and others who almost instinctively will not, will keep it to themselves until they feel that it's time or or maybe never. I think it's really important not to be judgmental of friends who have the opposite inclination of what we have. But I'm not a psychologist. I'm a linguist. I study talk. But I know that many psychologists have done studies that show that it can be healing to talk, that often those who keep things inside uh, can be more troubled by it. And, and there's that element of shame. If I can't talk about it, it must be shameful. So if you can at least lift that aspect of it, that that can can be healing in itself. That's interesting, Deborah Tannen, with the title of your book, You're the Only One I Can Tell. What Where did that come from? <laughs> yeah, it comes from this element of women's friendships, that your best friend is the one you tell everything to. And um, I first encountered that when I wrote my book about women and men, the book called You Just Don't Understand. That was that in the early 90s, and it seemed to have hit a nerve, which is, you know, why it stayed on the bestseller list all that time. But at that time, I found myself frequently saying, for girls and women, your best friend is the one you tell everything to. For boys and men, your best friend is the one you do everything with, and the one who will be there when you need him, but you may not talk to him for a very long time. For girls and women, they were often talking to their friends quite frequently, 
there's that iconic picture of two little girls and one is whispering in the other's ear. I collect pictures like that from all over the world. And I've encountered them from little girls all over the world. Very unusual to encounter two little boys, one whispering in the other's ear. So the the role of, of talk and particularly personal talk in a friendship is very central to many women's friendships. Well, I think that idea of not understanding, since you mentioned that, is really a crucial element, certainly in divorce. I think people divorce often because they feel misunderstood and, and unappreciated. So, um, I, yeah. yeah, go ahead. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, I was going to say that sometimes the most um, fulfilling thing about friendships is feeling understood. Uh, she's the one who knows how I feel, even if I don't say it. Um, she gets me and all my quirks. I get her and all her quirks. That feeling of being understood, we cannot overestimate the um, how satisfying that is. Absolutely, and that sense of sort of being completed through that understanding. Yeah, it's almost like if you understand me and I think you're great, then I guess I'm okay. Right. Deborah Tannen, thank you so much for being our guest on Dialogue on Divorce. Thank you. It's been a pleasure.